Okay, there's, there's two parts, I think. Um, so there's fulfillment and redemption. They're, they're both connected and they're both kind of the same thing, but uh, slightly different. So fulfillment and redemption. Um, we're going to look at our first reading, our gospel passage, then we're going to look at the first reading from another Mass that we had earlier this month, and then the gospel passage again. So uh, first, the, the first reading that we've got here, the fulfillment of what's going on. So in our first reading, this is, this is kind of how things have played out. So David, of course, is the king, the king of Israel. And he's got this, this thing in his mind. Um, he, he, he has, of course, a house that he lives in, a house of cedar, as he says, while the Lord, which, so the Lord is, is represented by the Ark of the Covenant. So this box that they had that had holy and sacred things within it. And this Ark of the Covenant, this, this holy box, for them, it represented the presence of God living among them. So like this super holy thing. And they would keep it hidden, uh, not hidden, but, but they would keep it in this, this thing called the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was like a tent. So um, when the people were in the desert, from leaving Egypt before they got to the promised land, they were in the desert for 40 years. And they would move around quite a bit. So because of that, they, had to, they couldn't have like a permanent location for the Lord, so they had to build this tent. Similar like if you were to go on a hiking trip, you wouldn't bring um, a, a big camper with you, you would bring a tent with you so that you could easily you know, set up the tent and then when you needed to move on to your next destination, you could take it down and pack it up with you and that kind of thing. So that's like the purpose of this tabernacle that the people had while they were in the desert. So it was a temporary thing because they knew that they were gonna be on the move pretty regularly. But by the time they get into the promised land, into Israel, and David is the king, and so there's like this kingdom that is established and all these things, like it's pretty permanent. And so David has this thought of like, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm living in a permanent house of cedar while, while the ark of God dwells in this tent. And so in his mind, he's like, it would make sense for us to build something permanent for the Lord so that, so that we could kind of complete our whole journey into this promised land. So that's, that's his idea, and it's a noble thought for sure. Of, of course, it's like, I want to honor God by giving him a permanent place. And by giving him a permanent place, I'm also giving the people a permanent place so that they can always know that they can come to this temple and, and offer worship and uh, recognize that they're close to the presence of God. Uh, that's, that's the idea that's in his mind. The Lord, of course, takes that noble idea and he flips it upside down. So this is what he says. He's like, okay, hold on a minute. Are you going to build a house for me to dwell in? That's, that's great, but watch what I'm going to do for you because just think about this, he says. I've done all of these different things for you, and now I want to complete that. As much as you, David, might want to complete what you think is this permanent thing, I first need to complete what I'm doing for you and for my people. And so then he says, okay, well, I'm going to establish a house for you. And, and when you die, you're going to have an heir, you're going to have a son, and for that person, I will make his kingdom firm. I'm going to be a father to him, and he's going to be a son to me. And your house, David, he says, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. This is like a big thing that the Lord is, he's, he's chosen David for some reason. He's chosen David to be the one who will always have a descendant on the throne. We call this a covenant that God establishes with David, the Davidic covenant, or another way is the Davidic dynasty, right? When there's, when there's a kingdom and a, a continuous set of kings, that's a dynasty. So the Davidic dynasty, this is the promise that the Lord makes. So this is, this is the really big, important thing, as we, as we heard in our first reading, because then when the angel Gabriel comes to talk to Mary and tell her that she's going to conceive a son, what does he say? You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him what? 
He will give him the throne of David, his father. So in other words, what, what, what is going on here is that Jesus is in the line of descendants of David, which is incredible because then what does he say? And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, this is the thing is that uh, David, of course, he lived and then he died. And then his son lived and died. And then his son lived so that they all lived and then they died. Until finally we get to Jesus, who is in line with David. He's going to live and he's going to die. But then we all know what's going to happen after that. He's going to rise from the dead and he will never die again. So there's no more need to wonder of like who's on the throne or, or who's going to succeed Jesus because nobody is going to succeed Jesus because he is king and he is king forever. You see how the Lord is bringing to fulfillment what he promised to David like a thousand years before Jesus. He's fulfilling it in Jesus a thousand years later and forever, for into eternity. It's like this incredible thing. And what's, what's more incredible is that in between, in between the time of G David and the time of Jesus is one big mess. So David has a son uh, named Solomon. Solomon builds a temple for the Lord. Solomon becomes corrupt. Solomon has a number of sons. One of those sons is Rehoboam, who takes his place. During the time of Rehoboam, so just two kings removed from David, this great king, just two kings removed, the kingdom of Israel splits in two. There's like this nasty civil war that takes place. Disagreements and rivalry and, and uh, stubbornness and rebelliousness against the commandments of God. Refusing to follow him, they even start to worship false gods. They let their hearts stray from, from following the true God and they start to worship these false gods of the nations around them. It's a tragic and a sad, sad thing. And because of this, what happens? People from the north and from the south, they invade the kingdom and they conquer it and destroy it. They destroy the house of God, the temple. And they lead these people off into exile. So in other words, like from the time of David, before we get to Jesus, the mess has become so severe that there's no more kingdom there. The kingdom is, is destroyed and demolished. And so what happens? It seems like it's impossible for the Lord to fulfill his promise that he made to David. It seems like it's like there's no way that he could do this. But the thing is this, with the Lord, what did we hear Gabriel tell Mary? With the Lord, all things are possible. All things are possible. Nothing shall be impossible with him. And so from the midst of the, like the rubble of the, the broken kingdom, the broken families, the broken people of God, from the rubble of that, the Lord is able to raise up an heir from David's throne, and that heir is Jesus. This is, this is incredible. And what's incredible about it is even for us, I think, because why? Because we can think about how our own lives, when we were baptized, we entered into a covenant with God. And when we entered into that covenant, there were promises that were attached to that covenant, promises that the Lord was ultimately going to fulfill every good thing in us. These, these promises that he gave to us when we entered into this covenant were ultimately that we would reign with Jesus forever, that, that at the end of our lives, we ourselves would be with Jesus in his eternal kingdom where there is no suffering and there is no, there's no sadness and no death, where, where we will die, yes, but when we die, we too will rise with Christ. That's the promise. But what's difficult is that as I look at my life and probably as you look at your life, what happens in between the entrance of the promise and the end of the promise, the fulfillment of it, what happens? So many times there's just a big mess. So many times. What do we see in our lives? We see sin. We see rebelliousness against the Lord. We see broken relationships, rivalries and divisions in our lives. Things that sometimes, just like for the people of Israel, sometimes those, those brokenness, that's, that's our fault. 
we can look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I caused this problem in my life. But there are other things that maybe are not my fault. It's just like the messiness of the human family that enters into our lives. And so anyway, sometimes we can get to this point where it's like we're stuck in between the two ends of this, this promise and fulfillment. We're stuck in between and it just seems like there's no way. There's no way, like there's no hope for me. There's no hope for, for that person or that person or that person. We're left stuck in this place, just like with Israel, exiled from the Lord, we could say, in a spiritual kind of way, where it's like, my heart is so far from him, or I want my heart to be close, but I can't seem to break free from sin, or I can't seem to amend this relationship or this situation in my life, or other times maybe I refuse to repent, actually, right, where we're stuck in this place of, it seems like it's impossible for me to actually receive the fulfillment of this promise that took place way back then. It seems like it's impossible. But the thing is that we believe that God can do impossible things. This is, this is the incredible thing. Now, to, to be sure, the scriptures reveal that, that not everybody receives the fulfillment of this. Not everybody enters into the kingdom of heaven. That, that's absolutely true. But at the same time, the Lord always offers to us opportunities for fulfillment. He can do impossible things, things that seem so broken beyond repair. He can come in by his grace and he can fix it. Things that seem like it's just a bunch of rubble, a mess that can't be sorted through. He can come in there and he can raise up by his grace someone who is faithful to him. This is, this is what the Lord can do. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so if, if he wants to fulfill your life, fulfill the promise that he gave to you, and if you're willing to cooperate with his fulfillment, then he's going to do it. And so part of that is just waiting and trusting that he's going to do that while at the same time being willing and eager, whether, whether that means repenting, whether that means bringing reconciliation into your life, whether that means uh, amending your life and, and changing behavior or thoughts or, or, or speeches, whatever it is, but being willing to wait on the Lord as well as being willing to move into this place of fulfillment. The Lord can do this. Now, the thing is, so, so fulfillment and redemption, this is, this is the other aspect of this. And like I said, I think they're connected, but, but what's, oh man, it's just, it's this really cool thing. So, so with this, I want to look at the fulfillment that we're going to see. So open up, if it's helpful for you, open up this missalette to page 21. So page 21 has on it the first reading from the Immaculate Conception, which was on December 8th. So leading up to this, I'll explain it for those who don't have missalettes or who just need to hear it, whatever. So, so um, leading up to this first reading is what we call the fall where this serpent, who is an image of the devil. So the devil is an angel created by God, and angels normally don't have an appearance. Angels normally don't have bodies. But for some reason, this angel, Satan, is able to take on an appearance, and the appearance that he has is of a serpent. This serpent, so this angel, comes to who? Comes to this woman, Eve, and he convinces her that she doesn't need God in order to find fulfillment. She doesn't need God in order to become like God, and so he deceives her, he tricks her, into breaking the one commandment that God gave to them. And she rebels against the Lord. And in her rebellion, what happens? She then gives some of the fruit to her husband who was with her, and he also rebels against the Lord. So what happens? This angel instigates something terrible, and that something terrible leads to the worst possible thing, which is sin, a broken relationship between God and humanity. And this broken relationship, it furthers, and it goes further into sin, into sin, into sin. In other words, this broken pattern enters into the world and ruins everything. The result is what? It is, it is curse upon curse upon curse. So then we get to this first reading where the Lord, the Lord now comes to the man. It says, now after the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree, the Lord God called to the man and asked him, 
where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. The man replied, what? The woman, the woman that you put here with me. You see this pattern taking place, right? So it's, it's like it's, it started with the angel, it moves to the woman, now it ends with the man. What does the man do? The man points back to the woman. She's at fault here. So then the Lord talks to the woman. Well, what does the woman say? The serpent, right? So it starts with the angel, goes to the woman, goes to the man. Now from the man, back to the woman, back to the angel. Okay, that's, that's big because wow, what happens? In our gospel passage, we see what? We see an angel come to somebody. Who is that somebody? We see an angel come to a woman. And what is, what is the message that the angel brings? It's not a message of deception. It's not a message of trickery. It's not a message of rebellion. But instead, it is a message that is quite the opposite, which is a message from the Lord himself that just says, Mary, you're going to conceive in your womb, and you're going to bear what? You're going to bear a son. And that son, of course, ends up becoming a man. Who does what? A man who lays down his life in surrender. Who lays down his life in surrender. He dies. He rises from the dead. Then what? He ascends into heaven. So you can imagine this scene. You have to, you have to be able to imagine it. This scene where Jesus enters back into the Father's presence in heaven. And the Father looks at him and he says, what have you done? Right? The Father speaks to the man. And he says, what have you done? And Jesus, who surrendered fully to God's will, what can he do? He can point to the woman, the woman that you gave to me. She taught me to surrender. She taught me how to humbly bow before your almighty will. And then he can turn to the woman, Mary, and he can say, what have you done? And she can say, the angel, the angel that you sent, he sent me with this message of great joy and I couldn't help but surrender to it. You see how, how what happens in this Annunciation, what happens in Christmas is the redemption, not just of the human family, but it is the redemption of all of creation. You got to imagine the angels, the entire angelic race, they knew that it began with an angel and that an angel ruined everything. So you got to imagine the anticipation and the excitement when they saw God turn to the angel and say, go and deliver this message. The incredible joy that Gabriel must have had when he approached Mary and he said, I've got this incredible thing for you. You have no idea. I'm so glad to greet you. I'm so glad to tell you about this. Right? How the angel himself was so delighted to redeem his entire race. And then how Mary and Jesus together, the man, the new woman and the new man together can redeem the entire race. This incredible thing that the Lord offers to us. And like, just like with Israel, it seemed impossible. It seemed like there was no hope for anybody and there was no hope. But what does God do? God does something impossible to bring redemption to all of creation. This is, this is what we're celebrating. What, what began with deception and trickery and moved into rebellion and pride and sin, what began with that turns into what? It turns into mercy and surrender and humility and forgiveness and reconciliation and unity. It begins totally corrupt and it ends with perfect redemption. And once again, for you and for me, this is what the Lord offers to us in his son, Jesus. He offers to us redemption if we are willing to embrace it. This is the thing that I, I know that, that sometimes in my life, it seems like there are certain areas that seem like they're beyond redemption. 
whether it's because I get addicted to this thing or I get so tied up in this thing that it just seems like there's, there's, there's nothing there for me. And I know this is the case, maybe for some of us, maybe for all of us. I know that, that maybe for some of us, there, there's just, there's a resolution that we've made of just like, I'll never repent of my sins. There's a resolution that we've made of, I'll never forgive this person. I'll never be willing to let go of this rivalry or this jealousy or this brokenness in my life of this particular sin or of that particular sin. I'll never go to the sacrament of reconciliation. I've just resolved that. And so for you, it seems like it's impossible. But the thing is that the Lord can do impossible things. And I'm not saying that, that we should take for granted that he's going to do it because we have to be willing to do so. But I, I am saying that he will and he does offer us his grace over and over and over and over again. And as long as we're willing to receive it, redemption is possible. This is what we celebrate on this fourth Sunday of Advent. It's the day that all, God offered redemption to the world, to all of creation, and the world took him up on his offer. And now today, the Lord offers you redemption, and he offers me redemption. And it's up to us to decide, are we going to take him up on that offer?